is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 573, recorded Thursday, March 10th, 2022. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am happy you're here. Also happy you're here, Jason. I'm happy I'm here too, Christopher. That's great. And I'm tickled, tickled that you're here. Tickled? Ooh, tickled pink? Uh, I don't know. Maybe more of a fuchsia? That's kind of pink. It's very... It's kind very, of it's pinkish. Yeah, it's, it's a deep, dark, bright pink. Mm-hmm. If, if, if pink can be all of those things, I don't know. Anyways, good times, fun to be here. Uh, we are going to be doing some listener feedback, amongst other things, I think, this, uh, this podcast, of course. And it's all about the most recent episode of The Walking Dead, which was called Rogue Element. It was season 11, episode 11. Before we get into any of that, I just want to really quickly recap the ratings so far since the show returned. If you recall, episode 9 had 1.76 million viewers, episode 10 had 1.6, and episode 11 had 1.67. So a slight bounce back, but really yeah, in the same... Yeah, a rounding error. Yeah, yeah, pretty close to it. Yeah, pretty close. They just guess at the ratings anyway, right? Like, if they don't have actual numbers... Do they nowadays? Well, I don't know. I, you know, they used to have those ratings families or whatever they were called. Nielsen, Nielsen films. Yeah. Yeah. And you'd get a box in your house and that would keep track of what you watched. And even that feels like an incredibly inaccurate way to do it. Well, they, you know, each household represents so many other households, yeah. right? So it was just a guesstimate. But now they have cable boxes, which uh, can probably accurately report back exactly what the fuck you're watching. So maybe they do have actual numbers well maybe i don't know i again i don't know how it all works other than what number gets posted and that's what i look at just to see where it's going so 1.7 sorry 1.67 million for rogue element um which is slight uptick but pretty much holding steady well you know ultimately not to harp on this too long but uh, ultimately if they keep using the same uh way of calculating the number then the number makes sense because it's not really about the number. It's about the trend. Well, yeah. And that's what I've number, always right? said. I just yeah. want to follow the trend, you know, even though there's all kinds of other things that factor into it that we're ignoring, at least this one number follows a trend. So there you go. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, one of the things that factor into it is uh, how drunk Steve got the night before he had to calculate the numbers, right? <laughs> that might That might be a big factor in it. Steve, this whole thing is on Steve? Well, yeah, because somebody's got to do the math, right? Somebody's got to put the numbers together. It's not like it's a team of people that gets to do that. It's somebody uh, has got to put it together. And uh, Steve might be uh, showing up to work one day, a little bit hungover, and uh, as a laugh, decided not to use the number six. Yeah, I'm just not going to use the number six today. So it's uh, one point, what was it, six, seven, one point three, seven? Six, seven. Six, okay, so he did use the number six. Maybe yeah. it's a five. He didn't use the five, though, yeah. Yeah. Friggin' okay. Steve, man. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what he has against the number five, but something something happened to him a long time ago, and he soured on that number. I guess so. All righty. Uh, okay, so we do have a bunch of listener feedback uh, this week, but there's also a couple of sort of larger-ish topics that I want to cover before we get going here. And we have a call here to start off 
from listener Happy Jack, and he touches on a few things, um, all of which I want to talk about in this podcast. So I'm going to play the call from Happy Jack, and then we'll go through things uh, one at a time here. Sure. Hey, Chris and Jason, this is Happy Jack in Victoria, B.C., I've done a couple of title reads in the past, but uh, I thought I'd take a crack at uh, giving some feedback. So that's what I'm going to do. We're talking about Rogue Element today. The first thing I want to say is that uh, Josh McDermott did a fantastic job portraying Eugene as a crushed soul after being betrayed. He totally nailed it, and I bought it 100%. Mother Puss Bucket. It kind of annoyed me when I first watched the episode. I thought it was a bit of a cop-out until I learned later on that uh, it was actually taken from Ghostbusters when the Mr. Stay Puft Marshmallow Man was attacking New York. So I'll give it a bit of a pass. The um, the spinoffs, I wish AMC would stop telling us who's going to be in them. I like the idea of having them. I just don't want to know who's in it until The Walking Dead is wrapped up as it takes away some of the urgency in the characters' fates. Um, that being said, I'm looking forward to them. Um, the one last thing is, um, well, two last things. The one thing is the, the spinoffs in general. Maybe they're going to be um, a couple of search parties looking for certain Rick Grimes. I could see that happening. And I would look forward to watching that. And then the last thing would be kind of off topic, but I kind of miss seeing Negan and Judith interact. I know some people thought it was kind of weird, but I just thought... Like, Negan had Judith's back, and Judith never put up with his bullshit, and I thought it made for uh, an entertaining watch. So I hope they do get a little bit of screen time before the series wraps up. You guys have done a fantastic job with the podcast. I look forward to listening to you guys every week, and I look forward to many more podcasts from you guys. Have a great day, and thanks again. Bye. All right. Thank you so much, Happy Jack, for that. So really quick, uh, I just do want to acknowledge that his point about Negan and Judith interacting, I think is good. And I wouldn't mind seeing more of them as well. I thought they did have an interesting dynamic on the show when we've seen them together. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if that is not over yet, like whatever happens with Negan, uh, wherever he's gone for now, he'll be back and him and Judith will interact again. So I do look forward to that as well. And then on the other end of his call, the beginning of his call, he talked about uh, Josh McDermott this episode, how great he was. And I also agree with that. I think he did a pretty good job. And I think we said that uh, in our recap. So excellent for Josh McDermott. It's not often that Eugene is featured so prominently, right? It is not. And it was nice to see. Yeah, very nice. Okay. So the other things in the middle there, the first one we have to address is the mother pus bucket thing. Jason, yeah. mother, mother pus bucket. It's not the first time this has been used in pop culture because as yeah. Happy Jack said, and as many, many other listeners pointed out uh, via emails, on Twitter, any, any other way they can. Just yelling at their uh, computers, yelling at their phones on the subway. Yeah. Uh, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Turning to people as they rode the bus and saying, can you believe these idiots? They don't, they don't know where this is from. So Mother Puss Bucket is a line from Ghostbusters, a movie that I've seen a number of times, a movie that was rather important to my childhood. <laughs> you know, yeah. I loved it. I watched it a lot. Um, now, I haven't watched it that recently. I've watched 
the 2016 version of Ghostbusters more recently, a couple of times. I watched Ghostbusters Afterlife, the one that came out uh, late last year, uh, much more recently. But I haven't watched the original Ghostbusters in a long time, but I do have a great deal of fondness for it. However, for some reason, I didn't connect that line to Ghostbusters and in fact, didn't even really remember it was there. Yeah. Um, and neither did you, apparently. No, I didn't know it was there. And I, I, I don't think we can be expected to remember every single line on every single awesome movie from 1984, uh, even though really the expectation is there. But, uh, you know, sometimes things fall through the cracks. So yeah. I didn't recognize the line. You didn't recognize the line. It was a Ghostbusters, and there was a ghost in this episode. I'm done. I think they're talking about ghosts. <laughs> Uh, right? We had a, Eugene saw a ghost on the balcony. Well, he did. He saw, uh, he saw Stephanie standing there and then she faded away. Yeah. And now we've got a Ghostbusters reference. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. They're setting something up. I don't well, know what it's going to be. Who are you going to call? Who are you going to call? I don't know. So Bill Murray says the line in Ghostbusters. He of course plays Venkman and he says it just as the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man shows up Uh and it's, I went back and watched the scene after everyone pointed this out. It doesn't jump out at me nearly as much in Ghostbusters as it did in The Walking Dead. First of all, thank you for everyone who pointed this out. Um, you know, I, I do appreciate it, even though there was a lot of it, but that's totally fine. Totally fine. We need to be, you know, brought down a peg occasionally when we miss something like that. But I'm kind of surprised that both of us missed it. Uh, even though you just said, you know, you can't remember everything, but like it's Ghostbusters, man. I I remember every line from Back to the Future. Why not Ghostbusters? I don't know. Star Wars. I remember every line from Star Wars. That too. But I have seen it over a hundred times. Yeah, fair enough. I don't think I've seen Ghostbusters a hundred times, but you know, at least a dozen over my lifetime. When it was when it came out on uh, the Super Channel back in the eighties. Yeah. Uh, I watched it every day. For months, which one, Ghostbusters? Uh, no, uh, Star Wars. Oh yeah, because like, it was uh, it was Star Wars and Time Bandits were on the Super Channel, the Movie Channel, every day at some whatever time slot, and mm-hmm. I watched it every fucking day, sometimes twice if it was Saturday. Yeah, well, I've uh, I've seen Star Wars more than Ghostbusters, Back to the Future many more times, uh, stuff like that. But anyways, when I went back and watched the scene. Uh, I was, I was struck that in Ghostbusters, it seems kind of okay, the line, whereas in The Walking Dead, it was absolutely brutal. And I stand by that. And there's one key difference to the lines in these two different, uh, properties. In Ghostbusters, Venkman says it as like an expression of exasperation, kind of, right? He says... He sees the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, and instead of going, oh my God, he says, mother puss bucket, right? Yep. And that's fine. The guy in Walking Dead says, you mother puss bucket. He's calling somebody that. Yeah, that's not a good use of that word. It's phrase. not. It's different. It's different. It's not just like, oh, I'm so exasperated by this, you know, whatever. He's, he's trying to insult someone with it, and that doesn't work, you know? Yep. All right. Moving on from there, 
The other thing Happy Jack spoke about in his call was the news we reported on in the recap show earlier this week, which at the time I dropped a spoiler warning for because it seemed kind of spoilery. So once again, really quick, we're going to go back to that news and talk about it again. So a little bit of a spoiler warning. Um, if you don't want to hear about some important Walking Dead news, then skip ahead. Otherwise, Happy Jack mentioned that he likes the idea of spin-off shows, but he wishes that AMC would stop announcing who's going to be in them because then you kind of know who's going to survive season 11 of The Walking Dead so they can move on into their spin-off show. Yeah, we don't have to spoil anything. We can just address the fact that, uh, yes, they announced who was going to be in the spin-off, and uh, we don't like knowing that. We definitely don't like knowing that. Um, and the thing about that is, uh, it, it it's there's been a lot of articles written, well, in the last couple of days since this news came out about how this kind of thing being done by AMC is taking the teeth out of the final season of The Walking Dead a little bit, right? It's removing some of the speculation around who will survive and who won't. And now that we know there's a solid group of characters that are going to be in spinoff shows and therefore not be killed off in this season, that's kind of disappointing. And yeah, it's taking away some of the stakes. And I think making it harder for season 11 to have any really big surprises at yeah. least when it comes to character death right right yeah there can be surprises of other kinds obviously they might not have all their limbs when they go into the spin-off show yeah might, they might not be able to talk maybe tongue cut out that'd be horrible <laughs> well just you know traumatized to the point where they don't speak anymore yeah i guess maybe um, but, but ultimately I, I just, I do agree that it feels like it's, uh, it's just taking something away from this. Now, the other thing is though, the main show, it's been around for 11 seasons. It's been around for a long time. I wonder if it's suffering a little bit under the weight of this expanding Walking Dead universe, right? Like it has, it's, it's the base of all of this. It was the first and it introduced us to the TV version of the Walking Dead, and now we have all this other stuff going on and the main show kind of has to still prop that up in a little, in, in some way. Right. And other stuff is spinning off out of it and it has to be able to deliver a compelling story while also supporting all of these other tentacles that are coming out of, out of it. And I don't know if that makes any sense, but I feel like that sort of puts the, puts a burden on the main show to do that while still trying to be its own thing. And with AMC announcing all these things, which they got to do, I mean, I mean, maybe they could wait, but at some point they're going to announce this stuff. Uh, it's just putting an unnecessary burden on the main show, which us, those of us who, you know, are so close to it, close to it, like we are and our listeners and a lot of other people, I think we're starting to feel that a little bit and you can't help, but, you know, take the context of knowing what's coming and injecting it into your experience with this one. And that's where it gets tricky and wacky and not so fun all the time. Yeah, and it's it's frustrating. I mean, I understand the need to want to advertise your new exciting show uh, and to let people know what's going on. That's why they release trailers. They're trying to generate buzz. But 
uh, you know, it's, uh, it's tough when you're in a situation like this and it's, it's the marketing department, you know, has responsibilities for, uh, getting the show off the ground and generating mm-hmm. buzz and news and people talking about it and, and such. But, uh, if, you know, they, they just, well, they're just doing their jobs. No, right? I, and, and I don't, it's annoying. yeah, I don't hold that against them for the marketing department. That's for sure. I mean, again, they are just doing their jobs. That being said, these are supposed to be sort of creative marketing departments. Like, could they not have announced Isle of the Dead and not said who was going to be in it? I No, and, and I get it. Saying that these two big characters are going to be there is a huge draw for some people, right? And it generates more uh, chatter and publicity and this and that. But you have to do it a year early. I mean, for yeah. crying out loud, it's not like people are planning what they're going to be watching a year from now. You know, if you announced it uh, on the day immediately after the final episode of The Walking Dead, uh, that there's going to be this new show that starts in two weeks and it's going to be starring these your, some of your most beloved characters, uh, you know, people would be like, oh, okay. Well, right? it- and they're going to do that anyway, right? But yeah. you know, did they have to start it a year early? Arguably, that could generate more excitement because like, oh my God, out of left field, you know, coming at you from nowhere, this huge news. Like, I do, yeah. I do think that could be even a bigger deal. Whereas now we have this information in our brains, we're watching the main show and it, it taints our viewing experience a little bit. And that's, that's what I don't like. Um, now, having said all of that, I think... Uh, Happy Jack had an interesting theory. Imagine if, you know, we already know about the Carol and Daryl show. They're they're going to go off on their own. And now there's the second one. What if these two shows are framed around the idea that he presented as a couple of little search parties going out to find Rick Grimes? (laughs) I can't imagine that being the case. No, but can, can you, I can in a way like Daryl and Carol hit the road because they get a lead on Rick and we do like how many episodes are we really going to do with that show? Six, maybe eight. We get six or eight episodes of them following the lead, finding some clues and ultimately coming up with nothing or something. And and we see their experiences and adventures along the way. Yeah. Uh, I just like from a, a character point of view from Rick Grimes uh, being the star of the walking dead. Yes, I can see that, but you know, Lots of people have gone missing. Nobody seems to give a shit. Uh, you know, like, well, whatever happened to Heath? I, I don't know. You don't see search parties, you know, forming over finding out what the fuck's going on with Heath. No, of course not. But you can't compare Heath to Rick. <laughs> wow. You can. I mean, they're both, if they were both real people, they would both have, uh, you know, rich, important lives. Yeah, that's that, true. That uh, are worth, uh, you know, trying to save. So... I don't know. For, yeah. Like I say, like just a character is like, yeah, Rick's gone, man. Sure, you miss him and everything. He was important to you, but damn it, it's a zombie apocalypse. You've lost your, you've lost your brother. You've lost your sisters. You've lost your families. They're all dead, man. It's just one more dead guy. Yeah, it's true. Actually, it's just <laughs> Rick. He's just one more dead guy. He's just one more dead guy wandering the earth. If they ever make those posters, uh, those movies, that should be on the poster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like it. Uh, okay, but. Here, here's one last thought I had on this. And since we know that all of these characters are going to survive and it takes a little bit of the surprise and the suspense away from the show, 
Does this make it more likely, Jason, that they're going to surprise us in some other way that doesn't involve character death, but speaking of Rick Grimes, characters returning, right? Does this make it more likely because we know all these people are going to survive and we don't have to worry about them getting killed off. Does it make it more likely that they're going to bring Rick back and surprise us that way? Because if they did that, I feel like people would be so distracted by that. All of this would go away. You know, yeah. they'd be like, forget, forget uh, who, who's dying. Nobody's dying. Who cares? Rick's back. It's not going to happen. You don't Sorry. think so? No, I really don't. I think Rick's coming back. Like I'm like 80% sure he's going to show up at the end of this season. Uh, and that's just me. That's just the feeling I have. Yeah, your feeling is incorrect, sir. Huh, interesting. All right. You don't think he's coming back, eh? You I don't, really don't. You don't even think that, that Andy Lincoln would want to sort of put a, close the loop on this character, you know, come back, put it to bed, move on from The Walking Dead once and for all. Now, I'm also kind of assuming that the movies aren't happening. Yeah. Because it feels like they're not happening. It feels like they're not happening. Right. It's been a couple of years now, so. More. Good God, yeah. So, I don't know. I think that might be enough to, uh, to make this all work. Or maybe this is their plan, you know? Yeah. We won't kill everybody off, but we're going to bring Rick back and then no one will remember who we didn't kill off. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's going to happen, but it'd be interesting. It would. I want it to happen. Like I've, I've decided that, uh, that seeing Rick back on this show is way more important to me than seeing Rick in feature films. Yeah. Your, your hopes and dreams, uh, and what you want to happen is meaningless. <laughs> Factors into AMC's planning 0%. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just, just in, no, I'm just talking about in general, in life, uh -huh. your, your hopes and dreams. I don't mean, I'm an, I'm a bit of a nihilist. Okay. Well, nothing really means anything. It doesn't matter. I can still hope and dream for it, even if it's useless. Yeah, hope and dream all you want. Doesn't mean Perfect. anything. Perfect. All right. But your opinion is you don't want to see Rick Grimes come back and you don't think it's ever going to happen in a million years. That's correct, sir. Why not? Why don't you think Andy would want to do that? Well, I'm starting to think about, uh, uh, you know, do I have to factor in what the actor wants? Do I have to factor in what the, you know, what's, what's going on in his life? I guess you don't. You shouldn't, maybe. Yeah, if it's uh, if it's Andy Lincoln wanting to come back, maybe maybe that's the thing. But uh, you know, if the producers are trying to figure out a way to bring Rick Grimes back into the show for an episode or two, or two, I I don't think that's going to happen. But you know, what Andy Lincoln wants, Andy Lincoln gets. As far as <laughs> The Walking Dead goes, right? I guess maybe I don't know. But see, I could I could see the producers wanting to do this. Like this is another huge like marketing opportunity, the return of Rick Grimes to The Walking Dead. Yeah, but they would have announced it already. Well, if <laughs> fuckers. If, if they do that, <laughs> I don't know, man. Like someone deserves a punch in the face if they if they announce the return of Rick ahead of time. We'll have to figure out how to mail one. Mail it, yeah. Seriously. All right. Anyways, um so yeah, the I just wish the, they'd stop doing this and let us be surprised once and for all or once in a while. And uh, thank you, Happy Jack, for all of those topics. Um, I got one more quick note here from Matt in South Wales. And he says, this is regarding the spinoff as well. Now, 
all through all of this, Jason, did I did we mention the characters that are spinning off onto this one this episode? Unlike last episode? This episode, no. Last episode, yes, in the spoiler section. Okay. So we didn't mention it here, so we'll, I'll try to read this without saying it as well. Uh, Matt in South Wales writes, Regarding the spinoff, you guys are discussing how many zombies are likely to be on Manhattan Island. I would imagine hundreds of thousands, if not more. I am just wondering, do we know how long a zombie's second life would feasibly be? Surely there wouldn't be that much left after 10 years. I appreciate that there are new zombies via bites and those turning after a natural death, but the fact that Manhattan is an island makes me think that zombie the zombie population would potentially have shrunk drastically, uh, providing the bridges are out. <laughs> You're assuming, that assumes the natural decay rate of uh, dead people in our universe, mm-hmm. right? Their universe is slightly different. Right? They have softer heads, but yeah. they heal quicker. I think that zombies last longer because of the, that natural healing ability that these fine folks in this universe have, that the zombies are uh, magically resistant to rot. Okay. So if anyone goes to Manhattan long after, like 10, 12 years after the original outbreak, there's still going to be millions of zombies wandering around that place. I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Or the, you know, uh, an earlier estimate, uh, I forget where it came from or whether it was uh, real or imagined uh, or announced or talked about on the show or not, was that only 2% of the population survived the zombie apocalypse, right? Mm-hmm. So if we had normal decay rates of humans, uh, you know, 10 years is a long time for a human being to, or a dead person to be around uh, out in the elements. So, uh, you know, they would have all rotted and be non-functional. So the only zombies around would be the, uh, the dead 2%, which is what, uh, what they mentioned. Uh, so in that case, you would hardly ever see a zombie ever. Right. Uh, hardly ever. Yeah. 2% of the population. And even, uh, you know, when people die, they generally get stabbed in the head by their friends and family. Right? Yep. So it would be even less. So it'd be like 0.0001% of the zombies wandering around uh, would be, well, they're, that's it. That's all the zombies that would be wandering around. Everybody else would be rotting uh, where they stood. They'd be just piles of bones and clothes. Right. Well, so there's so. So there's something different, which makes the zombies last longer. Therefore, there'll be lots left in Manhattan, but under normal circumstances, there'd be hardly any. Well, whatever magical or nefarious uh, properties that created the zombies in the first place are obviously sustaining their uh, decaying bodies for longer than uh, what would normally be feasible. There you go. All right. I think that covers it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's get into uh, the rest of the feedback now for this episode. And we're going to start here with an email from Brian in Bury which is near Manchester. I don't know if it's Bury or Bury or something else, but near Manchester in uh, the UK. It's probably like uh, Barry or, uh, I, I, I don't know, uh, Steve or something. <laughs> it's spelled B-U-R-Y, pronounced Doug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Brian writes, chaps, 
I loved the Detective Noir episode this week. Great change of pace with Eugene taking us into deeper levels within their fragmenting society. As a writer myself, there was one scene that was so horrific that I was forced to look away. Imagine burning your typescript. Arg! It took, it looked at least 150 pages. There should be a warning at the start of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> so as a writer, burning that, uh, manuscript or typescript as brian calls it uh is rather upsetting uh yeah it would be upsetting that's uh that's a lot of work that uh, goes down the toilet or in the in the burning pot but he's got an eidetic memory so he'll be able to recreate it i'm sure he'll be just fine is what you're saying okay yeah. good all right next we have a call from helena hey chris and jason this is helena in seattle so happy to have your podcast back in my feeds it's so great to hear your voices and your perspectives every week Thank you for being here for me and for everybody else. I have really enjoyed these two episodes so far. Um, this one with Eugene and his princess sidekick was great. I'm so glad Stephanie has finally revealed herself and I can't wait to see what happens next there. Um, I totally agree with you. Mercer's in on this whole rebellion thing. Um, that's very exciting. Something that Lance said to Eugene about uh, his people being productive citizens and perhaps everybody in the Commonwealth being uh, productive citizens made me think that they're really not so. They're more like productive prisoners. Uh, and that also made me think back to the last episode, New Haunts, where I thought I was very struck by the fact that Tommy looked absolutely terrible in that episode. And I don't think anybody mentioned it on your podcast, but he just looked awful and run down. And I don't know if it was because uh, they were trying to illustrate that surgeons are always tired, but I feel like it was something more they were trying to show us about his state of mind and how, how awful he looked. Um, they really went out of their way to make that really handsome man look terrible. So um, I think there's something there. Anyway, uh, thank you so much for your podcast, and I can't wait for the next episode. Bye. Amazing. Thank you so much. So, Tommy looking terrible, Jason. Uh, I mentioned the tremor when he was drinking, right? Yeah, you did. And he he's he seems really um, uneasy being there. And he sort of claimed he was uneasy be, being amongst the upper class, right? And that's what we talked about a little bit. But... Does it go deeper than that? Like maybe Tommy is the characters being used to give us the audience, like a peek into somebody who's not really all that happy at the Commonwealth or somebody who doesn't hide their unhappiness very well. Whereas the rest of the society does in a way, but it, it kind of makes me wonder like how free really are the people that live there and how happy really are they? Not free, not happy. Not either. It seems I, like a horrible society, right? I very mean, Hunger Gamesian. Why, well, kind of, yeah. I mean, definitely the class divide is seems to be pr pretty extreme. Um, but everything we've seen, the people seem relatively content, and it looks like there's just folks going about their day and working in shops and doing jobs and things like that. But there's got to be something more to it, obviously. And and we know there's this kind of rebellion happening that we're going to learn more about. But you're like average everyday schmo. Are they hating life in the Commonwealth or is it still pretty good? 
I think they're glad they're not being eaten by zombies, but I don't think they're happy about having to uh, serve the upper crust, uh, all their uh, delicacies when they don't get to have any themselves. And they're, they're living in the conditions that uh, that Daryl and his family were living in with the loud music and the sleeping on the floor and stuff before he, you know, his job settled. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a pretty good indicator that uh, people are uh, living in squalor. Mm-hmm. But they do have electricity to bl- blast music. Yeah. So there's that. Well, they can blast music. I think they can take showers. You know, they got a lot of the comforts. But yeah, right. I mean, I could blast music and take showers too, but I don't. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, neither of those things do you re- do you often do. <laughs> um, do you think the people there are free to come and go? Like it seems like, like we've been told they are. No, not at all. Because uh, what's his name said to Carol? You figured out how to get outside the wall. Right, but then he said multiple times in other situations, like, you are free to leave, we're free to go. All of our people that are there seem to think they're they're just there to, on a trial basis, and they're going to, they have the option of leaving at some point. Do yeah, they I really? Mean, no, they absolutely do not. I mean, it's a, it's a matter of uh, telling them they're free to leave and mm-hmm. then letting them leave, right? They're probably two different things. Yeah. You know, I've, I've never done it, but, uh, you know, I could say to my five, five-year-old, if you don't like it, you can leave anytime you want. It would be an awful thing to say, and I would never say that. But if I did say that, he probably wouldn't leave. Like, he doesn't even <laughs> know anybody. <laughs> I mean, what does he do? He goes home, goes to school. He must know people at school. <laughs> he, he knows people, but he doesn't know where they live. It's not like he's going to be able to call them and say, hey, can I crash on your couch or something? Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, well. I don't know. I mean, on some one hand, the Commonwealth does seem very welcoming, but it has this dark underside that we're just getting peeks at uh, that we, we don't know a lot about yet. And so that's going to come up, I'm sure. Um, but I think maybe Tommy is the one character we've seen, really, that's kind of uncomfortable with it all. I mean, obviously Tyler, the guy who was rebelling and stuff like that, and there's all that going on. We just haven't really gotten deep into it yet. But like Tommy's the one guy who's in the upper crust, who's like, oh, this is not working out for me. Yeah. He he wants to be right in the middle of the bread. He doesn't want to be in the upper crust. No, no. Just wants to be right in the middle of the sandwich, eh? Yeah. Well, you want to be, you want to be in the middle. Cause uh, if you're on the upper crust, that's where you, that's, you, that's where you get burned, right? That's why it's all brown and hard and stuff. <laughs> so we don't want to be in the soft, gooey, warm middle. Soft, gooey, warm center. All right. That's, that's where, where I want to be. That's where the peanut butter goes. Yeah. It doesn't go on the edge. It goes in the middle. Oh, well, that's right. It would be weird. It would be an inverted peanut butter sandwich if it was on the outside. And I love getting covered in peanut butter. <laughs> You should probably take a shower after that. This, this is getting weird. All yeah. right, let's move on. Okay, next is a call, no, an email from Dave in Cleveland. Dave says, I understand that the Commonwealth is supposed to be a large community with tens of thousands of people, but the way it's been depicted on the show, it doesn't seem much larger than other communities we've seen like the Kingdom or Woodbury. I think it would help if they used CGI or drone shots to show a large town and maybe cutscenes with many extras going about their day. I'd also think uh, if the community was large enough, they might have a public transportation system or buses or at least horse drawn carriage buses, something like that might reinforce the scale of the community versus past 
communities we've seen. Even Gilligan's Island, uh, in the the made for TV movies that uh, that were made well after the show ended, Gilligan made a car out of like bamboo and uh, reeds and things to drive people around. I mean, there was only <laughs> fucking five of them, and he made a car. So you know, there's, there's tens of thousands tens of thousands of people. I absolutely agree. There should be some kind of public transportation, something or other. I all we rickshaws really... or yeah. like uh, horse drawn uh, wagons. Mm-hmm. Where people could get on a double decker trolley car would be fine too, <laughs> if, if you could get that going. Um, all we've really seen though of of the king, uh, the uh, Commonwealth, feels like kind of just nondescript buildings where people live, or that kind of central town square. Yeah, you know where Grand Central Station is, or whatever they call it, Union Station maybe, and the ice cream shop and stuff like that. There, it, there's got to be more to it than that. It's got to be bigger than that if there really are thousands of people there. You would think, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. I, I live in a town where there's, uh, you know, just over 100,000 people live in this town, and <laughs> I don't know where they are. I don't see them. I see their cars every now and again, and <laughs> we do not have a town square where people go and get ice cream. Like, it does not exist in this town. You've got, like, a downtown waterfront area, though, right? Isn't that sort of like your central? That's more of a... Yeah, not really. I mean, it's a touristy kind of place to go and walk up and down paths and shit, but it's not like a downtown, uh, you know, area. There's, there's some, there's shops and things along the, uh, along the the main street there, but uh, they change every 14 days and they're mostly, uh, you know, uh, seasonal condos. Oh, okay. So, well, it's, it's very contrived. Yeah. It's I not guess really so. a meeting location. It's more of a uh, quaint area that you go to and say, isn't this quaint? Oh, look, there's water. <laughs> and then leave and never go back. Yeah, look at this lovely water and this, this quaint uh, made-up village. And oh, look, a nuclear power plant. <laughs> That's right. Because it's right fucking there. <laughs> oh, I know. You can practically see it from your house. Yeah, and there's a big fence that says, do not cross this. There are armed security. Well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, let's go for a walk near the nuclear power plant where if you cross that fence, you might get shot. We can, you can watch the three-headed fish with 14 eyes jump out of the river, out of the lake, I mean. and I've not seen one. No. Simpsons. Remember Bart? Yeah. Okay. I remember, I remember the, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what the hell's going on here? You're next. All right. We have a, uh, an email from Ellie in Brisbane. Uh, definitely was probably my least favorite of the three to date. It was nice to see Eugene so happy after all this time. I thought they did a good job of transforming his look to match his new loved up state to signal a different side of the character. But we all knew it was going to end in tears and then it went crazy. Full blown murder mystery style to hysterical rage. I thought Josh McDermott did a great job ratcheting up his uh, absolute frustration, anger and broken heart to the mustache twirling mastermind Hornsby. Yeah, I I think... Eugene came right to the limit in that last scene of uh, hysterical rage without quite going over it. I I think it was close, you know, but Josh did a good job. I I mean, obviously Eugene would have been upset. He's been through a lot. He's lost a lot. He thought he found the woman of his dreams and it was all fake. It was ripped away from him. He's writing this book. He doesn't even have any faith in that anymore. You know, he'd been talking, he'd been thinking about writing the book for 
10 years for a decade and he finally did it and it was all on the premise of bullshit so uh he would be upset and i think he did a good job of portraying that without and coming right to the limit without going over I mean, I've, I have a, an idea for a sci-fi novel that I've been thinking about for the better part of a decade. Mm -hmm. I'll never write it. Like it'll never happen. I'm okay with premise and, uh, uh, world building, but I suck about, I suck at plot and characters. I can't think of, you know, decent characters to place in this world for the story to happen. Hmm. Well, maybe you need a ghostwriter. Maybe. Commun communicate your, your, uh, premise and and world and then they'll come up with the rest yeah it takes three it takes place three hundred and fifty thousand years in the future that's a long time it is a long time and it's uh it's a pretty fucked up place let me tell you all right it's gotten to the point where uh uh human beings have uh achieved everything that they absolutely need to achieve uh, need to achieve power is uh abundant and free essentially uh we've transcended all kinds of genetic uh issues to the fact where we don't factor don't need to no more disease no more need to sleep no real need to eat or anything like that and the human beings have just become lazy and apathetic and they don't need to do anything so they don't isn't that the plot of wally uh even worse than that oh. like it's it's <laughs> uh like they don't even there's no not even any real society anymore things are so fractured that uh it's quite possible for you to live by yourself and not need to do anything because there's no more money or need for it whatsoever. Uh, and then aliens invade. Okay. I thought you were going to say people have gotten to this point where we have, we have no needs or anything and we're still assholes to each other or something, you know? Oh no, no, they've uh, gotten to the point where, you know, wars are no longer, they don't exist because there's no need for uh, territory or power or uh, food or anything really. Mm -hmm. Nothing uh, to fight over. Nothing to fight over. So we've be completely become apathetic. And how do you deal with a, an external force finally? Like mm. we've, in all that time, we've never experienced or never encountered another uh, sentient alien species until one shows up. And then how does society deal with that when, does it just crumble? I don't know. Probably does. Yeah, probably. Book's over. <laughs> yeah. Ultimately they, they get together and they fuck off and they leave the galaxy. They're like, yeah, we're getting the hell out of here. Because right, I can't then. fight that shit. Anyway, that's my, that's my novel. Anybody want it? Take it. <laughs> Go for it. Maybe it'll be a big hit someday. All right. Next is an email from Tallahassee's twin brother. And he says the episode moved the story along incongruously. So a broken hearted character solves a serious deep state esque in the context of a horror show by means of soap opera, afternoon TV, trope filled sub murder. She wrote shenanigans. <laughs> Great sentence. Uh, with a couple of zombie kills, a lame pseudo-obscenity, and a piece of Eugene scenery chewing, this episode should have been dark, not light. More all the president's men. I will leave it at that for the bad stuff, but the good stuff. Number one, love princess and her two pieces of advice and empty pie dish. If she ever tells me she loves me, I won't give a fuck about lasagna. <laughs> number two, she's too good for this. Sorry. Number two, Connie, she's too good for this storyline. And number three, my holy crap, big smile moment. Josh is chewing that scenery for all it's worth. It's emotion, baby, raw. The cheap TV lighting effect, the speech, and then Hornsby's obvious, succinct, and perfect reply. 
So, you know, good and bad, all kinds yeah. of good stuff here. I've never understood the phrase chewing the scenery. Can you explain it to me? Is it good? Is, is it bad? Chewing the scenery? Is, I, I, I think it's bad because, you know, when dogs chew the furniture, uh, that's bad, right? Oh, I, I know that. I, I think chewing the scenery is just another way of saying like overacting a little bit, like going a little too hog wild. Okay. You know, um, that's- I've never quite understood it. I've always thought I'll look that up someday and haven't yet and decided to air my ignorance on uh, the internet. Oh, that's fine. I mean, it's certainly not the first time. <laughs> no, it definitely isn't. <laughs> For either of us, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Ghostbusters. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think it just means overacting, you know, which, what does that mean? Uh, I don't know. Putting, <laughs> being a little too dramatic, maybe melodramatic. I don't know. Um but anyways, thank you, Tallahassee, for that. Uh, great email. Excellent. Next, we have a call from Scott. Hey, guys. Scott from Kingston here. So from uh, Rogue Element, just a couple of things I wanted to chime in on. So one was that poppy farm, and they were, like, asking for raises and all that stuff. But, like, they also said that they weren't part of the Commonwealth. So I don't know, like, what your guys' thoughts are, whether they're actually giving them money or how payment is working there like do they need money if they have money can they even go to the commonwealth and spend this money i that was really confusing to me so maybe it's just like food maybe it's things like that um and then also the mercer part um when tyler the, the prisoner was moved from the hospital room i think there was a little more to that as well i think that was mercer had him there as uh not as like a captive, but like they were like kind of talking about where that resistance was moving, if all that is true. And I think that was why he was so upset that he got moved. Um, so just wondering what your thoughts are on that, if maybe that's what's happening there, or maybe that's what you already thought, I don't know. Um, and lastly, I, I love the uh, reverse episode where uh, Chris was the nitpicker. And uh, just wanted to say, I did agree with you, Chris. I don't understand why they wouldn't have just given us like a glimpse of that old lady seeing something just to make it clear that she'd seen them go in. It was really strange that they, they omitted that and out of nowhere she just comes in and they weren't even in his, I don't even think they were in his room when they spotted him. So like, it seems like crazy that they would make that connection unless she did see them ahead of time. Anyway, as always, keep up the great work and uh, look forward to the next podcast. Thanks. Bye. Thanks Scott. Um, yeah. The old lady just bothers me. It like, give us an indication that she's watching them and it increases the tension a little bit, increases the stakes yeah. of them being there. Instead, they used rain. So rain's fine. Like he cuts his run short because it's raining. Fair enough. But the, you think they're going to escape and suddenly they aren't escaping because some random old lady brought the troopers in. Uh, they just needed to show us. That's all. A little show. Yep. Yeah, just a little, just a quick shot to set it up would have been, would have been great. Yeah, 100%. Um, the poppy farm, Jason, the whole thing where they say they're not part of the Commonwealth, yada, 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 but they need them. Um, I think Scott also has a good question about that. Like, what do they need the money for? You know, money doesn't exist outside of the Commonwealth. You can't go to somewhere else and use money to buy things. So... Does that mean that these common, these people on the poppy farm, they come back into the Commonwealth to spend their money? I mean, are they part of it or not? 
well, maybe they're an economic partner rather than uh, an actual member state, right? It's, uh, yeah, we'll give you money. It may not mean anything to you, but you could spend that money on different goods and services that we offer, like ice cream or movies or uh, rock and roll guitar. Records, records, you know, Motorhead records. Yeah, a little Motorhead every now and again. Maybe they pay them in Motorhead records. <laughs> uh, you know, I I want 10 pounds of poppies and I want three Motorhead albums. Oh, pretty good. It's a good deal. I don't know. I mean, they you you must be right. They must be able to come in and spend the money. Otherwise, it would be useless to them, you know. You would think that if they were working out there and, and providing this service to the Commonwealth, I mean, food or shelter, you know, or supplies of us other kinds might be more valuable to them than money. Um, but apparently money is, it is, is what it is. And, uh, you know, it's hard to swallow a little bit because money has, has gone away and not been a thing in this world for so long now. Yeah. Well, money is just a, it's just a, a representation of barter, barter power, right? It's yeah. uh, I will give you so many dollar bucks for your opium and then you can give me the dollar bucks and I will give you hamburgers. So I can just give you hamburgers, but you might not need hamburgers right now. So you might as well keep the dollar bucks and then maybe later I'll give you hamburgers and ice cream or uh, something like that. Like, uh, you know, I'm telling you, if I had a pound of opium right now, I'd trade it for some eggs, Benny. <laughs> I wonder how much a pound of opium is worth. I got no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't care. I no. don't want to smoke the the opium. I don't want to have it, consume it. I don't want to sell it. I don't even, I don't even know why it's in the house. I just want some eggs, Benny. I would trade it. Of course. I would trade it fucking, you know, just one for one. Here's you, your pound. Give me some, uh, maybe some hash browns. I, I could use some hash browns on the side. You might be able to get a lot of eggs, Benedict, for one no, pound of- No, just one. I don't want the opium. <laughs> what the fuck do I want that for? Yeah, fair enough. And for the record, there's no opium in Jason's house that I, I wouldn't know even of. know. I don't even, wouldn't even know, A, what it looked like. No. Nope. What it would look like. Uh, B, how big a pound is. Uh, is it like, it's, it's, is it like a pound of butter? Is it about that dense or is it like two feet by three foot square? I don't know. I have no idea either. So yeah. I, and I and see, I would have no idea where to get it. If I wanted to get a pound of opium, I'd probably ask you first. I wouldn't know. There's better people well, to ask than me. Like who though? Yeah. I, I don't, don't know. know anybody. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I would ask you. You might know somebody that might know somebody. I don't know anybody that knows anybody except for maybe you. Yeah. All right. Well, I. There. Yeah. I've implicated you in this whole thing. Great. Scheme. Thanks, man. I don't know anything. <laughs> all right. Uh, what about Mercer in the hospital and why Tyler was moved? Like, is Mercer pissed because. The prisoner is gone or is Mercer pissed because someone who's voc being vocal in this rebellion that he's a part of is gone? Mercer got rid of him. No, like, Mercer went looking for him and was pissed off that Tyler wasn't there. Like he was moved without his, his okay. Was that a ruse though? Oh. Because he, if they're both part of the rebel alliance, then uh, Mercer has got to get, got to get this guy out of the way and the, the two options are he's gone missing and he's pissed off because uh, maybe uh, the secret police uh, have got him 
and uh, he doesn't want that. Or B, he got rid of them and needs to make this nurse think that he's super pissed off. So he wrecks a curved wall. Yeah, I know. Like, yeah. uh, which is just unacceptable. Maybe in the zombie apocalypse. Do curved walls heal in no. this universe? Are you sure? <laughs> Pretty sure, yeah. Okay, we're going to have to keep an eye out for that curved wall again uh, in a later episode to see if it has been healed. They'll just put a, a framed picture over the hole. Like a curved picture? Yeah, why not? Or it'll just, it'll hang really awkwardly where the, the edges are farther out than the center. Anyways. Do artists paint curved pictures? Why not? You can make a curved canvas. Anyways, Could this this is not important. Are you sure? It well, seems important to me. Maybe uh, we should talk about it some other time. But fair enough. Okay. I've got some thinking to do. Okay. Um, <laughs> what, what were we talking about? But you're right. Oh, yeah, Mercer. Mercer, why is he upset that Tyler is gone? Is it because he was a prisoner and he wanted to like treat him that way and keep him there? Or is it because he's part of the resistance and now he's disappeared and he doesn't know who's taken him? Yeah. It, it depends what Mercer's like motivations and whose side he's really on. I think he's disappeared and Mercer doesn't know what happened to them, him and that makes him upset. Right. Like if you're in the middle of a lie and, uh, or s say you snuck something into the house that you don't want your wife and kids to know about, like Doritos. Uh-huh. Right. So you, you bring in a bag of Doritos. You don't want anybody to know about it. Because they're your Doritos. Right. And then you, you bring them into the house and you, and it's hard to keep Doritos quiet, but you bring them into the yeah. house, you stash them away in a drawer, one of the drawers behind you, uh, you slide it into that drawer, everything's fine. All of a sudden the fucking Doritos are missing, right? How'd you, you know about my Dorito drawer? <laughs> I'm just guessing because oh. everybody has a Dorito drawer. Yeah, of course. As far as I know. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, you know, the Doritos are missing, uh, but you didn't want anybody to know that you had the Doritos, so you don't want to bring it up because as soon as you bring it up, everybody's going to see you have a Dorito drawer, mm -hmm. right? It blows your secret, but so uh, you're kind of in a conundrum there because, uh, you know, you want to know what happened to your Doritos, but you don't want anybody to know about the Dorito drawer. It's tough. So you have to be quiet about the Dorito drawer uh, so that do whoever doesn't yeah. know won't. We'll continue to not know. <laughs> yes, that's right. Except Mercer brings it up right away. So he's just mad. He he's doesn't know. He's out of, he's lost a little bit of control is what he doesn't like. Well, yeah, that, okay. So let's assume that, uh, that your hamster is in uh, charge of the Dorito drawer and you go to the, you go to the hamster and you say, where's my Doritos? And the hamster goes, I don't know. It's like, nobody's supposed to take anything out of that drawer unless I say so. Uh, and then the hamster goes, apparently not. And then you get pissed off and you punch a curved wall, right? It's only, it's only the hamster that knows about it. It's not the rest of your family. Uh, it's only the, the hamster in charge of the Dorito drawer. I guess as long as I don't punch the hamster, everything will be Who fine. would ever punch a hamster? No, That's not, crazy. not me. That would be horrible. Yeah. Okay. Well, all will be revealed in the fullness of time is the only answer I have for that. <laughs> uh, we're not going to go this whole season and not find out what Mercer is up to. So yeah, now I want some Doritos. Yeah, me too. A little bit. All right. Who's next? Is it me? I don't know. All right. Well, I'm going to go then. It's this next is an email from Leisha on the internet. And she says the butt part of the foam armor really bothers me. <laughs> it looks so weird. Someone crafted a butt out of foam and thought it needed, thought it was needed on armor 
during the zombie apocalypse. When Mercer hit the wall, it was supposed to be intimidating, but I could not take my eyes off his silly foam booty as he walked away. <laughs> At least it doesn't have a cleft. I know, that's very true. That okay, would be so worse. if it had a cleft and if the armor had nipples, we'd be in trouble. We'd be in Batman territory. <laughs> yeah. Batman that's and true. Robin territory, which is even worse. Very true. <laughs> so that's one vote against the uh, butt piece of the pumpkin armor. What are you going to do? You're going to not have a butt piece? Like just to just leave the ass in the spandex that he's wearing underneath? The onesie? I assume it's a onesie. Of course. Why wouldn't it be? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. so silly. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, armor does have butt pieces. Stormtroopers <laughs> have armor over their asses. They do. They absolutely do. You need, you need butt armor. You do. All right. Next, we have an email from Mike in Syracuse. Thumbs down. My wife had to tell me to stop obsessing about the pumpkin butt pad. <laughs> so distracting. Daryl should Sharpie marker a jack-o'-lantern <laughs> face on that thing. Yeah, there we go. So that's 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 another vote against the butt piece, I would say. The, yeah, okay. So it's against the butt piece. But I really do not think that uh, putting a, a jack-o'-lantern on that would be a good idea. Because <laughs> and there's a temptation to want to make it sing and dance and then that's a bad idea sing and dance what kind of jack-o'-lantern sing and dance i don't know if there was a face on my butt i would be waggling my butt and singing a little tune huh my I mean, son I think, would love that yeah i think of it as like you know when you in high school you pat someone on the back with the kick me sticker you know you put it you, you somehow draw a, a a face on his butt piece and then he walks around without knowing it that'd be funny uh yeah it would be funny. I mean, <laughs> I guess you're walking around in that pumpkin armor. Uh, there's people going to be snickering at your ass left, right, and center. So you'd never know that somebody had drawn a pumpkin. On no, them. as we have been doing. And a lot of people have been doing anyways, without the pumpkin face. That's true. Yeah. All right. Well, Gabby in Texas writes in and says, Mercer butt armor. Yes. So there's a vote in favor of the butt armor. Uh, but she also says, I cannot stop thinking about Alden's baby after listening to this week's episode. What was the baby's name? Where is he? And who is taking care of him? I need to know. So two different topics there. Vote yes on the butt armor. And yep. where is Handsome Al's uh, baby? So I had trouble remembering the name of that kid. So I went and looked it up. Um, the kid's name is Adam, if you recall, Jason. Adam was abandoned by a whisperer who was then adopted by Earl and Tammy Unfortunately, both of them are now dead, so Alden took on the responsibilities of, of watching that kid and raising that kid. In terms of who's watching him now, well, we do have a hint. Do you remember the scene in the first episode back at the end where Lance and Eugene show up and Lance and they talk to the, or they stand in front and address the, gr the group? Nope. Yes, you do. Right at the end, six months sure. later. Absolutely. Lance introduced. Yes. yes. Okay. And in that scene, all of Alexandria is there and um, Barbara, who is a pretty deep background character, but has shown up since season five. Uh, she's holding Adam in that scene. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. So it looks like Barbara, background Barbara, as she is known, uh, is now the caregiver for baby Adam. And she's a Night of the Living Dead reference, right? Yeah, they're coming to get you, Barbara. Yeah, they're coming to get you, Barbara. That's right. 
So there you go. I think I, hopefully that answers the questions about baby Adam now that Alden is no longer with us. Super. All right. Uh, that's it for the feedback. Thank you everyone for writing and calling in this week. It was a little bit of a different episode because we talked so much about Ghostbusters and the the additional spin-off shows coming out of The Walking Dead. Uh, but I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly had a good time recording it. Um, so we'll be back next week with uh, our recap of the next episode of The Walking Dead. It is called The Lucky Ones. So oh, if, yeah. you, if you want to do a title read for that, please do. We would love to get some of those. It's season 11, 11 episode 12. I know a number of you have already seen it. I have some emails already from people that have seen it. And one of those emails said something like, boy, I can't wait to hear what you guys think of this one. So it's piqued my interest a little bit. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of our Patreon prize... Uh, Bonanza. Uh, yeah, I was, I was trying to think of another word that started with P, but I came up with Bonanza, which is a B. <laughs> well, it's like a soft or, a, a you know, it's a P with uh, some voice behind it. Right. Like okay. You have, uh, you know, our, le our letters are all broken into, you know, without the voice box and with the voice box, like F and V and P and B and T and D. They're all uh, the same sound but whether or not we include our voice box so i'm fine with it okay the patreon prize bonanza sure is what i'm going with uh then the prize next week for this next this upcoming episode is a uh stainless steel water bottle that says lucille is thirsty on the side of it Gee. and a 3d print that i uh that i got in one of the walking dead supply drops um that is basically a 3D print of some zombies and it comes with, you know, red and blue 3D glasses. You put them on and then the zombies jump off the page at you. Very, very Super. fun. Oh, <laughs> yeah. cool. So Lucille is thirsty water bottle and that 3D print. Uh, that will be going out to the winner that we choose on uh, the next podcast when we recap the lucky ones. So thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. And uh, we look forward to doing that episode next week. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, of course, visit TalkingDeadPodcast.com. Click on Send Voicemail at the top to record a message. You can find us on Twitter at Talking Dead, where a number of people pointed out the Ghostbusters thing. And once again, thank you for that. We know. <laughs> we know. Um, you can also send all your email to TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. All right, that's going to do it for this week, everyone. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.